0: And welcome
1: aboard the battleship pretension i i'm scott nye
0: <laughs> i'm david Bax. tyler smith is on safari so about uh, this safari he's okay. on <laughs> i feel wait first yeah. i have to you you uh consented to being recorded right
1: yeah okay i got it i yeah. got it i get it
0: apparently i was you know what i was saying that because i was like <laughs> i don't want this to go to waste but then it reminded me you're being recorded whether you hit guided or not. That thing is just a courtesy. I don't know. If yeah. You I
1: mean, I we can't count that. on the CIA, you know, to yeah. share this <laughs> audio with our <laughs> listeners in the special battleship retention feed. So that would be a real loss, but it would be archived somewhere yeah. at least. Yeah. We could um, retrieve it with our tax dollars. There's, there's a form you can submit. I'm
0: sure. What were you going to say about Safari? Uh, I,
1: I mean, I don't know how much you, you know, is he bringing the children along to Safari? Can one bring children on Safari?
0: Uh, The answer to the first question is no. The answer to the second question is, I don't know, because the answer to the first question is no. Oh, fair. Uh, um, Yeah, someone is uh, family is staying at their house with the kids while they're they're traveling. They left for three weeks. Uh, It's not that long. He's taking three weeks off of the podcast. Gotcha. Um, But not all of those are safari weeks. Yeah. In fact, as of this recording, he is still in Los Angeles gotcha okay but that makes more sense yeah i think there's just so much prep and not only with them leaving but also with family coming in that he was like i can't do this tonight so that's sure why, that's why he's not
1: because i said he's on you know, safari,
0: he's actually not he's when
1: you, when you're yeah. escaping three weeks into the sahara after a year and a half of children <laughs> you know you start to wonder like is this children thing for you i don't know maybe time <laughs> to reassess some things
0: uh well, you know, in, a, in in sad news, speaking of people reassessing things, um we learned this week that Bruce Willis is stepping away from acting uh because of a a diagnosis of aphasia. And um that is very sad to me for many reasons, you know. Um I've always kind of liked uh not kind of, I've always liked Bruce Willis movies, as listeners know. Die Hard is the movie I've seen the most times of any movie in the world. It's a very uh, likable movie. Uh, but also, I mean, just the, that diagnosis itself is the details of, of aphasia are particularly upsetting. I yeah, I hadn't heard of it before. Had You had any familiarity with it? Not actually. I know there's a song by Pinegrove called Aphasia. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I'm I, sure
1: I, he is just listening to that on repeat. Yeah. I'm em- em- empathizing with it greatly
0: um so that's kind of what i i've weirdly i don't know if this is like uh inappropriate but i've also had that song stuck in my head because well understandably but um yeah no i i looked it up since then and and no i didn't i didn't know but it sounds um very sad and and potentially scary
1: yeah i think for you know and i'm sure this is true of actors too not that the two things i'm about to say are mutually exclusive but like for people who use their mind a lot and you know take a lot of joy and use, uh, in conversation to like further their sense of self-worth or in the case of acting to make their living. Uh, it seems particularly al- alarming. And I think like a lot of people like you and me and the people we know are often like more scared of, um, like Alzheimer's or dementia later in life than like dying. Um, I think losing right. the sense of one's thought processes, processes, um, seems yeah, very difficult to live with
0: yeah and then um i i don't know i there's been a lot of uh i mean his bruce willis standing i think has has fallen and part of this now we're like oh maybe this was why this yeah article today was completely like very upsetting i don't know if you read that um, yeah i did uh, yeah um seems like potentially maybe i don't want to like allegedly i don't want to like get into any slander uh here but it does seem to suggest that some people might have been benefiting from his uh um his state perhaps yeah it's tough to say because it's like there was probably i mean
1: it seemed like there was a point at which he was mostly fine you know we all look back at like 2012 as like the last really great bruce willis year you know he had moonrise kingdom and looper in the same year um but i i had read some industry insider said that that there was rumors of this sort of thing going back to like 2013. So maybe there was a shift that started to occur then where he started to take less demanding work and just started to kind of like shore up for retirement. Um, not that Bruce Willis is a poor man by any stretch, but you know, you get to a certain spot in life and you want to make sure you're providing for your future generations. Yeah. So I'm sure there was a degree to which at least he was trying to get as much work as he could that paid pretty well in as quickly as he could before it really took hold. Um, not to say that there probably aren't people along the way who might, you know, have benefited too, mm-hmm. just that I, I guess I'm, I wasn't ready to accept the notion that it was purely like kind of elder abuse kind of thing.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, uh, uh, you agree with Natalie on this. I'm more, <laughs> uh, uh, that's what we were talking about earlier today. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm more inclined to, uh, think less of people
1: (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) well again there could be a mix too where it's like he initiated it someone kept it going longer than he might have chosen to um or someone was still profiting while he was choosing to keep it going and maybe i don't know about taking advantage but like finding a situation that benefited them even if it meant someone suffering
0: like you know a lot of gray areas areas. in the world Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but uh yeah i um I now feel a little bit bad for some of the things that I said about his performances. And I think that uh, looking it up, the last thing I saw him in was uh, Eli Roth's god-awful Death Wish remake, which was 2018. Mm. Um, was
1: that the same? I feel like that was around the same time as Motherless Brooklyn. Motherless Brooklyn think... would have
0: been 2019, I think, but okay. I didn't see that one.
1: That was the last thing I think I saw him in. Is that a large role? No, it's a very small role. And at the time you know going into i was like oh bruce willis doing a real movie again very excited but it's such a small role and he's i mean it sounds i feel bad saying it now but he's not like the highlight of the movie performance wise yeah um and so i was like ah well maybe next time but apparently not yeah um yeah i mean it's definitely a bummer it is kind of weird to see so many people talking about him as though he's already dead um just like the way they're memorializing his career and like ride off into the sunset, you brave man. Um, (laughs) there's a certain tenor, but at the same time, you know, that's also like, you want people to say the nice things about you while you're alive too. So. Yeah.
0: And I mean, it, it seems like this is a permanent retirement. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think, yeah, yeah, I think you can, I think people can memorialize his career. You
1: know, yeah i guess uh, there's just a tenor which it also feels like they're memorializing him in kind of uh, a funeral have you watched the latest season of curb i was i just watched that on the airplane and the
0: <laughs> albert brooks episode i was thinking about oh, that yeah, a little bit yeah yeah and albert, it turns out albert brooks is a COVID hoarder yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you got uh, john ham using yiddish so good uh, yeah the, yeah that season was good um yeah i
1: haven't finished it yet i watched six episodes between it, my two flights
0: uh what was I gonna say? Um well, I guess I was being defensive of people memorializing him, more memorializing him because I'm pretty sure uh once Tyler's back we're gonna do a Patreon episode about our favorite Bruce Willis performances.
1: Sure. I mean he's got you know, a really great filmography. I I always said like he took advantage of that post-Diehard years and did the weirdest stuff and like was yeah. just like I'm Bruce Willis, we're making it, whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh all right. Well, um, you know, I probably should have been listening on my tweaked ear. Or let me tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. I. What I was going to say is I probably should have been listening to uh, Bruce Willis' album, The Return of Bruno. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Um, but I wasn't. Instead, I was listening to a... Um, a playlist that uh, nocleansinging dot com made of uh, recent albums by Ukrainian metal bands. Uh, sure, sort of like uh, you know, there's you, you, Ukraine's in the news a lot lately. I don't know if you've uh, heard, and and so celebrating some of the artistic uh, contributions that Ukraine has made. So bands like White Ward and Grave Circles and Sectorial. These are the ones that I can pronounce ez uh yeah i don't know how to pronounce that oh a band that i actually already knew a couple of bands aren't here that i already knew and liked funeral candies there is <laughs> when this album came out in 2020 i think and i saw it and i was like oh funeral candles that sounds like a metal name and i was like wait <laughs> hold on a second that's a even more metal candle. than i expected <laughs> yeah that's a cool name and then um the most recent album uh ep on the list i don't even it's um I don't, SVRM is the name of the band. The name of the EP is in uh, Cyrillic alphabet language. I have no idea what it is called or how to pronounce it. But uh, all of it sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Uh, They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension.
1: Okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with
0: Byte. Okay, we're back. And Scott, let's get into it. I
1: don't let's- know why you wanted to talk about this or why you think anyone will be interested in it, but uh, we'll plunge ahead anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I, <laughs> yeah, now you're acting like you're doing it. Uh, what's what I'm looking for? like hesitantly uh, hesitantly but you when i suggested it to you over email you said something like nothing would please me more oh absolutely <laughs> like yeah i so, uh, uh, i'm just thinking yeah. about the listeners out there yeah brace yourself listeners this is going to be the rare episode of battleship pretension that is not about movies nor about snack food the second
1: most popular topic on battleship pretension
0: Wait, is it really?
1: Well, you guys have all those Patreon episodes where you talk oh, yeah, about yeah, various yeah. snacks.
0: That's true. So I that's feel true. like
1: that kicks it up into uh, well, you the know, most popular. A
0: Batman, topic. a Batman calzone is not a snack. That's a meal.
1: Well, that's fair. So um, yeah, it'd be either desserts. that or historically comedy would be the other like backup.
0: Yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking of. As comedy would be the, mo- the the main one. But yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, so no, we are we are doing an episode about Broadway. The uh, I was trying to think of another. Uh, I, like, lost my uh, drama club geek, like, cred. I was trying to think of, like, another epithet or whatever for Broadway. Um, You know, I'm sure they call it something. I'm Uh, sure they do. Yeah, but um, uh, you were recently in New York for a couple weeks, right? Two whole weeks. Yes. um, I noticed uh, that you went to see a lot of Broadway plays, which I was, like, I said to Natalie, "Like, you see it Scott on Instagram? Fucking money bags over here." It's- uh, it depends <laughs> on how you play it. I definitely dropped some
1: heavy coin on one, and the others were all under a hundred. And you know, I was out there for work. My meals were comped. My living quarters were comped. I wasn't spending a great deal of money. So there you go.
0: All right. Well, um, yeah. So you saw a bunch of plays, um, and I guess I, I yeah, I wanted you to just talk about the, the, the plays and and musicals that you saw uh partially because i mean there's a lot of overlap in some ways between what people go to the movies for and what people go to plays for in terms of uh art that takes place that tells a story over time is usually you know uh, that you sit passively and watch in a dark room you know there's uh there's a lot of uh there's some overlap there, but I, that's me just like trying to justify really what I want to, like, I think I have, as I said earlier in the episode, a tendency to think the worst of people to think the worst of institutions. I can, I can be a cynic, especially, uh, um, no, I've never thought that of you, over, David, uh, over the past two years. Is that true? Or are you joking? I'm joking. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, especially over the past couple of years, I just have lost so much faith in people. Um, But I guess I have in my head this idea of what Broadway is now where it's all just like Spider-Man turn on the night or whatever the fuck it is called. And just like big, big swings of like recognizable properties being turned into like, I'm sure there's some like fucking Minions Broadway musical. Not that I've heard of yet, but I shouldn't (laughs) be surprised. Um, That is my idea of what Broadway is now. So seeing you on Instagram post all these different playbills of things that i hadn't really uh wasn't really a, a, a aware of um outside of the the one big musical you saw uh, was the only one that i was uh aware of it got me thinking like oh yeah broadway is still like a uh uh vibrant uh cultural center uh perhaps uh maybe i'm wrong but uh I mean, it definitely feels that way being there walk, through, walk us through it
1: yeah um so when i first went Well, the first time I went to New York, I was like 14. I went with family. Mom dragged us to whatever musical she wanted to see, which were actually pretty good. We saw like The Lion King and 42nd Street, both of which are like perfectly sturdy musicals. Um, It was before I had seen any of the Busby Berkeley movies upon which 42nd Street was based. So I didn't have like that great an appreciation for it. But it's still, you know, a lot of singing and tap dancing and so forth. Um, but the second time I went to New York was right after senior year of high school. My drama department in high school did bi- biannual, whatever the one is, it's every two years, biennial, maybe, um, kind of class
0: trips to. Well, to I guess something? biannual would be every two years. Semiannual would be twice a year, or is it the other I way think, around? I think there's a word that's just
1: biannual, and that means something. David's looking it up. I'll continue to tell my yarn while he does. Um, So yeah, every two years, my drama department would take whoever wanted to come to New York, you know, paying whatever amount of money that our parents could afford um, and show us around town, take us to see some Broadway shows and, you know, try to invigorate our love of theater and invigorate it did. That's where I
0: saw um, you figured it out. Yeah. So Turns out that I was saying biannual means one thing and semi annual yeah. means another. No. Biannual and semi annual both mean the same thing. Huh. Which is twice a year. Interesting. I would have every, thought at least semi annual meant like a variety
1: of times per year.
0: Uh no, biannual and semi annual both mean twice a year. Biennial means once every two years. Still got it. Wow. Um, no. yeah, so that's where I first saw Who's Afraid of Virginia
1: Wolf. It had Bill Irwin and Kathleen Turner in it. Um, I saw The Glass Menagerie with Jessica Lang and Christian Slater. Um, and I was just in a different head. Like a lot of my friends wanted to go see Avenue Q or Wicked. I'm trying to think what else was on Broadway at the time. Um, and some other like, you know, kind of big famous musicals. Oh, lot was out. Um, but I really was like, you know, pretentious theater dork wanted to see some plays man wanted to see some heavy drama and it really definitely instilled um a very active interest in getting back there as frequently as i could to do the same and of course that was 2005 and you know after that i went to college and had no money for 15 years (laughs) and woke up on the other side and somehow landed a job that gets me out to new york on a semi-regular basis um at which point semi-annual um, right now we're biennial, but we're trying to make it quat annual, whatever okay. four times a year would be.
0: Um, so we're working on that. Um, um, I, uh, uh, I have been in New York city once I did not go to a Broadway play. I remember, um, I kind of had wanted to go see, this was 2009 and Oliver Platt was in guys and dolls. Oh, sure. And, natalie was like i don't like musicals and then my friend in new york who now lives in los angeles but at the time is like a theater like costume designer and saw everything because she was like able to get in free and stuff she was like don't see it, it's terrible ah, <laughs> um, well so i i didn't go um i feel, I feel bad about that i i i live like two blocks from one of the sort of theater districts in los angeles you know the north nor- north hollywood there's a bunch of little yeah one of many places
1: that claims to be a theater district in los angeles
0: <laughs> well there you also live near another one on the yeah. that stretch of santa monica boulevard that has a bunch of little uh theaters but uh i never go um when i was in london the i think i was like your friends who just wanted to see like the fun funny thing Sure. And I saw um, The Complete Works of William Shakespeare abridged. Oh, sure. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I've not either. seen it, but I'm that, familiar. It's, yeah, it's, it is It is quite funny, uh, especially if you're a nerd, like a theater nerd. <laughs> um, but I did used to go see plays somewhat regularly in St. Louis, because uh, I would see both, like, the traveling plays that would that, that would play, like, the uh, traveling music- musicals and would see, like, play the and uh, forget... Uh, st louisans are gonna like be shocked that i've forgotten the name of the big outdoor amphitheater that has plays all like musicals all summer i'm
1: ashamed of you already on their behalf
0: it's a great look st louis is a a great place in many ways the zoo is free and then this place (laughs) this place i can't i can't remember what it's called it's in forest park it's an amphitheater it has all summer it has a different musical every week usually like traveling companies and the Back two sections, two further sections away are free, first come, first serve. So I would go That's great. the uh, musicals all the time. But then also Webster University in St. Louis, which is a big theater school, feeds a lot of Broadway talent. My aforementioned friend who uh, uh, designed costumes on, uh, uh, on the stage in New York, um, went, studied at Webster University. They have the repertory theater that has really, really good uh uh, performances that's much smaller like in the round type of thing and i would go see death of the salesman i saw sweeney todd there so uh i've i used to like going to to plays and musicals i don't do it anymore and i'm uh, ashamed of myself
1: yeah i still absolutely love it even in los angeles which i think has a very fine theater scene that is sometimes underrated the problem in los angeles is that all the theaters were built too recently so they're for my for my money a little too comfortable um the great thing about broadway (laughs) is they were built like 150 years ago and they were just like let's get as many seats as this tiny plot of land that new york can afford us will let us pack in and so you're really slammed up against people and like even if you're several rows back you still have a pretty good view of the surroundings because the rows are so damn close together that there's uh no room for anybody to be sitting too far away um And there's still just a certain vibrancy to the district. I mean, it is, you know, the main Broadway stretch is in Times Square. Broadway itself, for those who don't know the designation, is not tied to a geographic location. The Broadway designation is purely based on house size. Um, So the houses that meet the Broadway standard all tend to be around Times Square. But technically speaking, um, any show that's off Broadway is just under a certain seating capacity. I'm not sure what exactly the capacity is, but that's kind of the way it's all kind of broken down. Um, so yeah, I mean, every time I'm in New York, seeing plays is a huge priority for me because you, you get to see actors live that you never would in LA Mm -hmm. and really investing. And there's tons of money poured into material that is really, really good. So, you know, when I was there four years ago, I saw Denzel Washington and Iceman Kenneth, um, through some clever seat hopping. I ended up in the front row for the final act. It's a four act, like four hour play. And to see like Denzel giving the big monologue in Ice Man cometh like so close I could slap him, you'll forgive this week's big controversy. <laughs> um, it's like it's unbeatable. And when theater's really working, to me, you know, I love movies and all, but to me when theater's really working, there's nothing better than getting to be in there. The flip side, of course, is when a play doesn't work, there's nothing more interminable. At least a bad movie. You can kind of distract yourself. Um, you can make some snide comments to your neighbor. You can take in maybe there's a stray performance that works or an interesting shot here or there. When a play is really not working, it's it's the longest evening in the world.
0: I think you're speaking directly to Natalie's, my wife. Natalie's listeners know who my wife is. Uh, <laughs> they listened to the one where I met your mother. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, my uh, Natalie's uh, hesitation about the going to the theater is it, if it's bad, she will feel such strong. Like secondhand embarrassment for the person because sure. they're in the same room. It's like the same as seeing like a bad stand up comic. It's like it's especially cringeworthy because it's happening right there in, in front of you. A bad movie you can distance yourself from. Yeah. That's
1: another good point. Um, and I guess that's what I meant. Like with the snide comments, maybe you take a bathroom break or whatever. Yeah, yeah. When you're in those packed Broadway rows, you're, you're trapped in there. There's no escape. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Um, but yeah, I saw four shows while I was there. Um, one off Broadway, the three others, the fourth was maybe debatable. I'm not sure the house size was a smaller theater, but they're all kind of bigger productions. Um, the fourth, the first one was the smaller of the four. Um, it was a new play called English that's about um, a group of mainly women and one guy who are all in a uh, English as a foreign language class in Iran in 2008. Um, the particular cultural trappings, I don't think were like entirely clear to me. There's some element in which it seems like they were preparing to take a test that will enable them to get better employment in like England or America as a result of like learning English, they were like, they weren't just taking, you know, for their own education. There was a very distinct, not only like cultural advantage, but like path to a life that this class was like designed to give them. Um, so I'm not sure of the particulars that are involved there, but um, I was just kind of looking around at the plays that were running, you know, Broadway is still kind of waking up. And so the, where there was a lack of them, but this theater company I was aware of, um, the Atlantic theater company, and so I figured I'd give it a shot. I knew they were reputable and um, the play got good reviews. So um, I got there after a, so I saw it on St. Patrick's day. I foolishly uh, went to a tavern for dinner beforehand. The tavern's uh, ticketing system for their meals was broken. And so about 30 minutes before the play was start, supposed to start, they were like, your food's not coming in time, man. And so I went there on an empty stomach, oh. ready to have a very miserable evening and was greeted um when I got to the um to my seat with just a flat like exterior of what was I took to be the schoolhouse and it had like a sign outside that was like, you know, um this is where the school is. it didn't say this is where the school is, it's the name of the school. I don't know. Um
0: Let me ask you a question, is there an yeah. intermission? There was no intermission for this play. Okay. Normally, because like I said, I've never been to a Broadway or off-Broadway uh place. At intermission, is there Anything that you could get to eat? No, you
1: would be very hard pressed to find a way to eat during intermission.
0: Yeah, can you get a drink? Um, Is there like do, do, do places have bars? Some do, yeah, but the intermissions are pretty
1: tight. They're like ten minutes, and they stick to it. Really? Yeah, it's not these lackadaisical, you know, days of old.
0: But how how do I mean? How do a few hundred people all use the bathroom in ten minutes? Um, if you're smart, you just don't,
1: you know, you hold it for the end. Um, if you're ambitious, you really just run for it. Basically. (laughs) Um, that's the other thing about these old playhouses, not a lot of bathroom space. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute with, uh, my big splashy musical. Um, but anyway, so I was greeted with the flat that I assumed would just fly into the air. Um, it being an off Broadway show at a smaller theater company, I figured it'd be a rather modest production, but instead play starts whole damn thing starts rotating, and like, you love to see a 200 seat theater that can somehow afford to make the entire set rotate throughout the entire course of the play. This is kind of partially the tech theater nerd part of myself, because that's yep. mostly what I did in high school. I acted in one play, wrote two others, but mostly did tech for it. And so I'm, I'm attuned to technical details, I think, and excited by them as well, because our theater teacher was um, very ambitious for a high school theater teacher in terms of the technical stuff we could do. Um, so once it started rotating, I was like, all right, we're in it. Broadway's back, baby. Um, and the that's used throughout the play to very good effect. There's the only real weakness with the play is that the scenes are quite short, you know. In, in theater, I think the um the nature of the environment is set up to allow for longer scenes, and I think a movie can typically support um because you know, there's no camera to point in different directions on a stage, you're looking at the same thing pretty much the entire time, one way or another so theater is used to building the that tension in a different way through performances and staging and lighting and whatever else um but the scenes for this one are rather short but the way that they stage them by having the set continuously rotate it kind of gives the sense of a passage of time that there's a real flow between the scenes in a way that i think a lot of shorter um play scenes shorter yeah shorter scene plays can't necessarily support um very well acted mostly is about, um, kind of centered around the woman who teaches the class and she had her own history with, um, the English language and she lived in London for a time and really felt like that was her truest self and has lived for some number of years back in Iran due to circumstances that are never really clarified, but seem to be something kind of family related to something she couldn't work out to stay in London as kind of regretted leaving. And you can see over the course of like the months that the play takes over that, um, she's losing her capacity for English. And in a sense, she feels like she's losing a key part of herself. And so, so much of the play is about the way that people relate to language as a way of knowing oneself. And maybe that's that they know themselves better through um, what they're raised in, or maybe it's that they know themselves better through what they learned or some combination thereof and kind of how that affects one's psyche day to day, especially in an environment. I mean, they're not, you know, in american forces speak language but they're in a high enough level class where it's like supposed to be that they're only speaking english um so those two elements are constantly in tension they don't um actually utilize like farsi the way they do the kind of language switching is to have them speak very accident english and then if they're um speaking farsi quote unquote they just slip into kind of like more of a casual familiar american accent that's more kind of slangy and more relaxed and. Um, the actors handled that really well, so yeah, um, that was the first play I saw, and uh like i said didn 't know much about it going in, but was really really taken with it
0: um, did you uh, uh did you eat at any uh famous uh establishments around the theater district
1: uh no, because I know to avoid Times Square Food unless you really know what you 're doing okay. um and I met up with a friend of mine who works. Um, as a stage manager, and she took me to a very fine Thai place that was very close by and not as expensive as I would have expected for being a couple of blocks away from Times Square. But um, that first trip I made to New York when I was like 14, we stayed at Times Square, and it was you know great when you're 14, but it definitely left me the impression of Times Square's uh, weaknesses <laughs> and limitations. What are I can't even think of what some famous establishments would be besides like Sabaro and McDonald's and like all uh-huh. the things you can see from the street.
0: What's the, like, I swear I've talked about this before. What's the place that's like, uh, like uh, where the actors go after the, to to drink all night and wait for the reviews to come out in the morning. You know what I'm talking about? I Sarties? think I,
1: yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name of it, but I, I know I passed it because my friend Vanessa, the stage manager, um, she pointed it out as we're walking by. I was like, I almost took you here, but we would run into too many people I know. <laughs>
0: Uh, I think it's Sardi's. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Let's move on to the next
1: one. Yeah. The next one I saw, um, was kind of on a whim. I was, so there's a booth in times square where you can get day of tickets at 20 to 50% off. Um, maybe even more depending on the show and how desperate they are. But, um, I was standing in line expecting to want to get tickets for a revival of company, the Stephen Sondheim musical, Mm. Um, and I'm not the, like the biggest Sondheim guy in general, but and it's a well-reviewed show and a legendary show. And I wanted to kind of uh, take it in. But as I was standing in line, I was realizing it was going later in the day. I didn't know if I wanted to rush back to my hotel, eat dinner and then make it for an eight o'clock curtain. So I saw that American Utopia was playing at nine and um, I'd never, I didn't see the Spike Lee movie version. And my friend Vanessa was like, you absolutely have to see American Utopia. So sure enough, uh, that's what I did. And to speak to your comment about mr moneybags over here it paid a, a cool 58 bucks it wasn't an expensive ticket by any stretch um it was rather high up in the uh balcony but nevertheless yeah. those packed broadway houses i could still see um david burns facial expressions um yeah i i'm not like i don't dislike the talking heads but i'm also not like a talking heads guy so i don't like aside from a couple of songs that everybody knows i don't have a strong i of draw to him or to his music um, but to see those famous songs and several others, he also played like a Janelle Monet track that I hadn't heard before. Um,
0: that's in the movie too. Is it okay? I wasn't sure because how hell are you tell about that's the name of the song. I don't know what the name of the song was. <laughs> it's it's what the hell are you talking about? But in, you know, shortened like slang, how are you talking about? But is it
1: like the protest anthem where they keep yeah. saying like, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Because I wasn't sure because, um, they obviously reference a lot of things that happened within the last two years. And the show started um, running in like 2018 or 2019. And so it's obviously changed a little bit since like they started doing American utopia. So I wasn't sure at what point along the way, Spike Lee filmed it. Um,
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, But I think Spike Lee, I'm not sure when he filmed it, but I also think he added some images to the movie that are more recent for that section. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Um, right. So, uh, for those who haven't seen the film version or the stage play, it's like a bare stage, David Burns in a suit and no shoes. And it's mostly him. There are people in gray suits, um, singing famous songs that you know, and maybe a couple of you don't, uh, with live instruments on the stage. And it's, uh, pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, it's very like, It's very kind of as the title implies, it's very kind of uh, pie in the sky, dreamy of a better tomorrow kind of stuff. But the experience of the lighting and the staging and David Byrne says in the show that like he just wanted to see what would happen if you just stripped everything away except for the people performing it and gave them as blank a canvas to work with. And would that be enough? And it certainly is more than enough. Um, And yeah, I mean, obviously it was cranked to the highest level of sound I can imagine. And the audience was going wild and dancing in the aisles and, you know, some, a little too rowdy maybe for my taste in terms of like talking during the show, but um, the energy in the room and in, in that kind of like packed environment where everyone's really like jammed together is pretty impressive. And I'm really glad I took the time to see it.
0: All right. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm jealous. I, I would love to see it. Cause I am a talking heads guy. Yeah. You strike uh, me as one. <laughs> it's they're probably a top five band for me. Oh, all right. Yeah.
1: Um, and yeah, I knew because of like clips I'd seen in the movie, I well, I had suspect or gathered that they did road to nowhere, which is uh, you know my favorite talking head song, but I didn't know they saved it for the encore. So they got to the end of it. And I was like, well, I know the show has changed over time. Perhaps they decided to strike that, but, uh, <laughs> To get that kind of wall up in the encore that leaves a good feeling with one. All right. Um, the next show I saw was my uh, heftiest ticket price. I paid a cool $290 for a sixth row wow. ticket to The Music Man starring Hugh Jackman. Um, no
0: regrets on that ticket price at all. Really? Um, I did not know. I knew. I, I guess I didn't know that tickets could be that much. Oh, you want
1: to know how much they can be? I, if I had so chosen, I could have paid $700 for um, one of the center. I'd say first five rows, I think were 700. Um, yeah. Wow. that's It can uh, be that much.
0: I mean, I get that you're saying like uh, that you don't have any regrets and everything, but like that's that's exclusionary to a lot of people, you know, it, for sure. And there's a lot, always
1: an ongoing conversation about that in theater circles, about the elite relative elitism of um, Broadway specifically. And the theater generally, I mean, even the ticket I bought for that play English was $80 and that wasn't the most expensive ticket they sold either.
0: Um, Yeah, that's, uh, I, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, like I want these places to, Thrive and and survive, but I also want people. I I want I don't want there to be such a a, a barrier. I have I feel similarly about like music festivals are always like too, yeah, too I mean, expensive for
1: the thing. I'll say is that they do still do rush tickets. So if I were determined and I wasn't there for work, I could have shown up at ten a.m. every day and tried to get a forty dollar ticket. That could have been anywhere in the house. It could have been in the first five rows. You know, um, right. assuming they had a seat open. And, you know, they do that tickets booth thing I mentioned where the tickets are 20 to 50% off day of, um, you know, there are ways to make it more affordable if you're on a budget and you're a little flexible about where you're sitting or what you're going to yeah. see. And I think it's a fairly equitable way to handle it, which isn't to say that they that Broadway isn't rife with greed and that people are making disproportionate amounts of money on it, but you know, that's, that's show business, baby, um, i chose to pay the money because i had the money and because i've dreamed of seeing the music man on broadway since my high school did it gosh 20 years ago um and it's since then been maybe my favorite musical at least one of you know the significant ones in my life um and again absolutely no regrets for going so um For those who don't know the story of The Music Man, it's about a kind of con man swindler who travels from town to town, settling band instruments for a children's band that he never forms. He leaves town before they arrive, um, confident and rightly so that the um, allure of putting together a children's band is enough. Um, Meredith Wilson wrote the book and lyrics based on his kind of childhood memories of growing up in Iowa um, and. It's very wholesome and very uh, rousing and very much a key piece of American theater for all the reasons one might expect on it. Um, It's also a super funny show, um, unbelievably entertaining. I I think the movie that they made in the sixties doesn't really convey the energy you get of seeing it live. Um, So much of it is built around the idea of 20 to 40 people singing at you at once. And, you know, not necessarily like dancing at the same time and they might just be standing still, but, the, isn't that the same visual dynamic of, or really the aural really the dynamic of seeing that in a movie as you get on stage. Um, this was an absolutely sold-out show and as packed a theater as I've ever been in, both in terms of the way the theater was designed and how many people were in it. I did not use the restroom during this break because I had used it before um, the show and there were about, I'd say, three toilets in this restroom <laughs> or a theater that sat easily five or six hundred people Um, and so I stuck to my seat. Um, but yeah, so Hugh Jackman stars as the uh, con man, Harold Hill, um, who, you know, on the surface, it seems like an easy role, especially for someone like Hugh Jackman where it's all charisma and all, um, glamor and all just kind of like snappy remarks and kind of getting one over on the other person. And I think that's the way that a lot of people tend to play it. I definitely feel that's the way that Robert Preston played it in the movie and you know correspondingly one can imagine played it on stage when he originated the role but jackman finds a lot of interesting nuance to the role and really hones in on the eventual revelation that harold hill has that it's actually great to form a children's band even if they completely suck that the joy you can get from something is not based on it living up to the expectation you've sold it on um there's a lot of joy to just be had in accomplishing something and putting something together and especially something like a children's band where the parents are really there just to see their kids in uniform, holding literally any object um, that that's, re- I think that's really the course of what Meredith Wilson was going for and what um, Hugh Jackman's performance really hones in on, you know, you can see in the way he plays some of the harsher scenes um, that Harold has um, that he's built up a series of kind of responses to circumstances that have gotten him so far in life. And a lot of the book of the play is watching those break down. Um if that's too lofty uh, what reading of Music Man is purely built out of seeing it performed, you know, a dozen plus times in high school as a result of working on the show. And then again uh, this past week, it's a show I'm very, very familiar with. Um, and which I didn't necessarily expect would be performed with this degree of nuance or intelligence. Sutton Foster plays Marion, his love interest, who's the town's librarian. Um, That role is also one that can be easy to play very flat. She basically like sees right through Harold Hill immediately and wants to expose him. If only for the effect that he has on her younger brother, who's kind of shy and withdrawn and who um, through the course of um, Harold Hill putting together the band really kind of comes into his own and kind of develops some confidence. And that's what, you know, in the book anyway, convinces her to um, put off kind of revealing his secret. Um, But what Sutton Foster kind of plays into is that she, Marion, is a very intelligent small town girl who doesn't have a lot of uh, intelligent repartee about town or someone on her similar level. And so she ends up seeing in Harold Hill like a sort of equal in terms of intelligence, in terms of wit, in terms of skill in conversation and in circumstance And she really plays that very well. And they leave enough space in the show for the two of them to kind of develop some not fully improvised moments, but moments of little play between them that helps sell their relationship. That's the kind of thing you can build over the course of doing a musical for many months at a time. Um, That's really two actors responding to one another in a live environment, which is again, part of the thrill of theater that as much as they can rehearse something, there's a little element of discovery every night and they're, like four months into their run now. And it's fun to watch them still kind of discovering and playing around with it and having fun doing it. And it is such a fun show. The music numbers are incredibly rousing. The dancing is extraordinary as one would expect. And um, as much as I love the show and as much as I was looking forward to it, and as much as I pinned kind of a lot of desires towards seeing it, I was certainly not expecting to well up with tears at the end of the show when it gets to the final round of 76 trombones, Which is really a combination of, you know, being away from home for the first time in a while, um, being back in New York, being in a a theater environment that's more, I think, engaged than um, one in Los Angeles might necessarily be. And to be thrown together with a bunch of people who are all having that same reaction and who, you know, shoulder to shoulder doesn't really cover it. You're practically locking arms with how tight the seating is. And to share in that, again, was incredibly touching and then they did a little auction afterwards. Every, you know, twice a year, Broadway does a thing called Broadway Cares. It kind of raises money for out of work actors, which they're, you know, of late have been many. Mm. And so um, they're like, you know, throw some money in the buckets. While we're at it, we're also going to auction off some props you've seen tonight. So they auctioned off um, Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster's gloves from the evening, sold um, one of each of theirs. So two sets in total for $6,000 a piece um, in a live auction, which was also a lot of fun to yeah, watch good. people like, yeah. You don't expect to see a live auction at the end of your Broadway show. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, yeah. So it was uh a really great welcome back to the theater kind of thing and um really the kind of thing I, I didn't realize how much I needed.
0: Uh I'm also seeing just looking up this uh the the cast, uh the mayor's wife is Jane Hootyshell. I'm not sure if that's how you say her name, Hodyshell. Okay. Uh who was just uh, so great in the humans um movie because she played- Oh dang she, uh, played the role on stage. Yeah. And we, I guess she was so good that the rest of the cast, they decided to put movie stars in there. Yeah. Right. Uh, kept her and she is fantastic in it.
1: Yeah. I didn't, uh, I lost my program pretty quickly into getting there and did not have the time to do the customary read through of like, what episode of television have I seen this actor in, which is usually the kind of the fun game you play at stage shows um but yeah should you find yourself in new york and are free to go at 10 a.m to get rush tickets you can get them for 45 bucks highly recommend it
0: um your comment about what a uh, uh, single episode of television i i when i was talking about my limited experience with professional theater i left off one los angeles uh, example which is of course the Waterworld stunt show at universal oh absolutely because they i don't know if you have you seen the water world oh show yeah show? oh yeah it's amazing it's at the but at the end they like i'm so and so and like they list off their credits but it's yeah. like watch you know watch me on law and order svu and you look at up just like one episode seven years ago yeah
1: at best <laughs> but they right. they should be proud of being in the water world show because you oh, know yeah. you want to talk about a great produced piece of live theater with many technical elements that are themselves you know, maybe not the point of the show. Well, maybe they are, but also just like kind of moving in their own right. Uh, that's a, that's an impressive theater.
0: Yeah, um, uh, uh, I should go to Universal more often. I live so close for now. Well,
1: they don't even do the Waterworld show anymore. Yeah, right now. that's true. So they shut down for me anyway. The main draw. Universal uh, Universal's yeah. fine, but like,
0: eh. I mean, I, I haven't been since. I haven't been to the Wizarding World because last time I was at University, okay. they hadn't even built it yet.
1: The Wizarding World is worth going to. I'll admit that. And I'm not even a Harry Potter guy, but um, the main ride there is one of the best rides I've ever been on easily.
0: All right. Yeah.
1: All right. All right. And then lastly, you'll be proud of me. I also spent very little money to see uh, American Buffalo have a little app called Today TodayTix. That's exactly what it sounds like. It's today. Get some tickets. And so they had uh, like $40 rush tickets to see American Buffalo with Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Rockwell, and
0: of lesser note, Darren Criss. Um, I think uh, harsh, first off, harsh. Um, but I think this is the, of the ones that I saw on, uh, uh, on Instagram. I think this is the one that I was most jealous of, um, partially because coincidentally I am in the middle of a Hannibal rewatch. Oh, so sure. So I've been like super into Larry Fishburne. Uh, lately he's been on my tv screen a lot so uh yeah seeing that that playbill with with him uh it it looked like uh that's something i would very much like to see especially for 40 bucks well it's playing through july you just roll into new york uh and grab yourself a ticket i've uh as you know and the listeners don't quite uh it's a big shit going on in my life right now well i guess Um, that's true so i probably won't be making it to new york uh anytime soon
1: um, yeah, I have also been, I can't really think of any particular reason why, because I haven't been rewatching Hannibal, although I love Hannibal, but I've also been like on a Lawrence Fishburne kick just in general. I think it was because I saw Deep Cover like a year or so ago and I was like, man, Fishburne is one of those guys who just totally there all the time, totally compelling. And so I was thrilled to, to get the chance to see him live. Um, American Buffalo is written by David Mamet, um, I think from the, is, Premiered in the '80s, sometime I want to say. Um,
0: I don't know, like a like the like a standard uncultured rube. I just know the movie,
1: right? Which was like the '90s, I think. Yeah,
0: that was early '90s, I think. I don't
1: know. Like I've 90s. never seen the movie, um but it's that's about that. a pawn shop owner who is organizing a robbery, and that's about all I knew going into it. What I didn't know is that like the robbery never happens, and it's just about like them figuring out whether or not to do it and that that is also like totally thrilling and it's great you know kind of early david mamet dialogue where it's just like what do you got there well i got the thing what thing you know the thing and it's just like that for like five minutes um but it you know when you got sam rockwell and Lawrence fishburne doing it it's a blast and i mean rock both of them really but rockwell especially is one of those guys who you suspect will be great live because he's such a, you know, kind of wiry elective performer on screen and absolutely translates that to the role. Um, I forgot to look up the cast list to remember the names, but he's like, you know, kind of the wild card guy who's a little smarter than everybody, but doesn't know how to apply how smart he is. Um, and Fishburne plays like the shop owner who's kind of wrangling it all together. Darren Chris plays the kind of dumb young kid that they kind of half rope into it, but because he seems to have some addiction problems, they're not, intending to uh keep him too close to the whole scheme um i, I didn't mean to slag darren chris too much except to say that he does not make a convincing uh street ruffian he is a very clean man and no amount of stage makeup or hairstyle and can quite uh, remove that and and i also genuinely don't mean this to disparage him by saying he does convincingly play quite dumb um he comes across as a guy with no clue about his own life or what to say next except like what he heard somebody else say um but because he couldn't really sell me on like he just came off the street I, I, he was kind of the weak link of the three of them um he's also you know just not lawrence Fishman or sam rockwell who are two of the right. most accomplished and uh well regarded actors of their generations rightly so um so you know maybe in several years or maybe with a different kind of role he he could be the same kind of actor but um you know it part of what i really love about going to see great theater is just great electric dialogue even if it is something as simple as that kind of david man back and forth stuff um performed to the hilt and that is uh definitely what i got at the rather modestly sized circle in the square theater it was uh it's a three-quarters thrust stage um And probably not of a size that would actually count as Broadway, but um, definitely adorned with as much uh, care and attention. I think they had first intended to open it pre pandemic. And so I don't know how much they've been rehearsing kind of since then, but um, it was a very well honed production. And yeah, you know, like I said, a big part of the draw is just seeing actors I love right there, chewing into material that they've really dug into. And um, that's definitely what I got here.
0: now you sorry it's on my throat okay Um, you said Broadway and Off-Broadway are by size designation but I didn't realize you could be seeing a play that you didn't you don't know whether which side of the divide it's on I guess I thought Maybe if I, I like counted little, the seats
1: on the seating chart, I probably could have kind of thing. But, but there's um, not like
0: a little B on the corner of the playbill that says Broadway, <laughs> or like an O for Off Broadway. Uh, no, there there is not. Um, and I think that
1: designation is maybe not necessarily as strict. Um, especially when there's you know very famous people in the play, but um, that that's kind of the way it's been explained to me because you know it's not like all the Broadway theaters are on Broadway. They're clustered around Times Square, but not to any degree that you could form a, you know, very formal uh, geographic designation around them. So you kind of have to use some kind of looser idea. And
0: it it, it would look like one of these Republican gerrymandered (laughs) districts. It really honestly would. Um,
1: And so you have to use some kind of loose definition. And, you know, for the most part, it's just like there's a lot of money or there's stars or some combination thereof, but house size it sooner or later does kind of come to bear.
0: Uh, any other general thoughts about your, uh, uh, your two weeks on Broadway? <laughs> um, just that I okay. I, hold on. Scott's two weeks on Broadway is the name of the episode, I think. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. I was wondering what you would call it. I have to, yeah.
1: Um, no, just that I can't wait to be back. And it was really refreshing to be back in that environment. Like I said, I've been seeing plays in Los Angeles. You know, we saw slave play when I played here is great. Um, saw a play with Brian Cranston at the Geffen called power of sale um but there's an element to broadway beyond you know there's the fact of being there there's the age of the theaters there's this wild seating arrangement there's a lack of bathrooms there's all these kind of like things that make it still feel a little not necessarily disreputable but a little um i know there's a history there and there's an element of like feeling like it's still kind of put together by people that you don't get in kind of the newer venues that are all very pristine and exceedingly well cared for and you know in la they're usually at best 20 years old and so there's not as much kind of like uh it doesn't feel like there's really like ghosts in the theater which i feel like any good theater kind of uh benefits from um so as much as i have enjoyed seeing the theater in la I think also just um, I mean, really, to your point, people of all income levels do attend Broadway and it's a thing that draws, you know, theater students who are just getting rush tickets, who got some discount through their school or whatever um, they most theaters or most shows of a decent size have a high school program where they're offering discount tickets through that. Um, so people in New York really of all income levels do attend in a way they don't in L.A. Um, in L.A., it is it you can really feel that it's mostly people with money um, and maybe a couple of people who splurge, but there's not the same culture around it. So there's not the same draw. Um, you know, I think the fact that, like you said, you never go to the theater is uh, reflective of that. I, I think the equivalent of David Bax, New York couldn't avoid going to the theater from time to time because it's so much in the air and part of right. the conversation. Um, and Yeah i'm i'm very eager to return they're starting up a production of Macbeth with daniel craig white soon that i'm hoping to catch when i'm next there and we're entering tony season so things are really taking off
0: um well do you uh uh did i already ask do you know when you're going back i don't
1: know for sure
0: I didn't um it was in I, my, I had a lot i know I, I i've remember. made uh
1: a, I've made promises to my team in New York that I'll find a way to get out there in June, but I don't have the trip approved yet, but I do also have the money to just ship myself there. So I am planning to go back in June.
0: All right. Well, um, we're probably not going to do another version of this. Let's do it four Uh,
1: times a year. Let's make, (laughs) what would the percentage on that be? One thirteenth of the shows. about Broadway.
0: Yeah. People uh, think there's
1: too much comic-con talk on this show. (laughs) Wait till they get (laughs) three more rounds of this.
0: Uh well we, speaking of three more, more rounds you'll be getting a lot more Scott uh, I know we still got to figure out
1: what the hell we're talking about the next yeah, we don't couple have weeks. topics
0: for the next couple of weeks no idea we'll be on here and then uh, but then after that you'll be back on for the TCM uh festival wrap up they just released their schedule oh I know I, together I, I I made a uh, I made a tentative schedule last night um you'll be back for the summer summer movie preview. Yeah, this will feel like the first really one of that in a few years. Yeah, uh, and then I'm guessing and assuming you're not in New York at the end of June or the July, we'll be doing the uh, top five movies of the year so far. That's right. That
1: yeah. uh, that will be interesting to schedule because I may still be in New York, but we'll figure something out.
0: We will figure it out. I mean, we do this over Zoom. You can, we could you could do it from your hotel room. If uh,
1: uh, pandemic's over, David, haven't you heard? <laughs>
0: I yeah, apparently it is. That's what everyone <laughs> tells me um all right uh, everyone who gives me uh looks for still wearing a mask in public uh, i still wear a mask in public you know what's the weirdest thing to me when what's the at, weirdest thing when you're at rouse or costco or whatever you know where you, you don't have to wear a mask anymore right people who are still wearing a mask but still not wearing it correctly still doing the under the nose thing that's a good point i don't understand that like you don't have to wear it at all why are you doing the half-assed like passive-aggressive i'm wearing a mask thing but this,
1: this uh, see, this is an interesting psychological read because I've always chalked it up to equal parts the tone you just put on and also just like that they forget and don't really think about their face the way apparently you and I do all the time <laughs> that they are just like throwing <laughs> on a mask and being like, well, did it and not thinking about the positioning of it that it's just pure
0: uh, laziness. Once again, you're being more charitable uh, and I'm glad that you are bringing that energy to the show. <laughs> hey, someone's got to. Well, uh you uh listeners, you can find me uh uh at David at Battleshipretention.com. That's where you email me. You can uh tweet at me at david pretension. You can also check out my other podcast, the one where I met your mother. Um that's where my wife Natalie and I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother and compare and contrast. This week we talked uh, we we like keep trying to check ourselves of not doing the thing of like projecting our current cultural like mores onto something that's over 25 years old or it seems to be, be the most popular old. activity these days but so something it's it? really hard not to because it's like glaring the, the, i'm not sure how familiar you are, you are with friends but uh familiar enough to know i would do that too yeah um but a, a lot of times it's about like uh, homophobia and stuff. Sure. The one that stuck out in these last handful of episodes we watched. Adam Goldberg did like a three-episode arc as uh, Chandler's roommate, okay. he was clearly like mentally ill, and the way that they're like playing it for laughs was so uncomfortable. Interesting. That I like, and part of it is because my wife is a social worker, and in many ways, sure. is a mental health professional. You know, she's a licensed clinical therapist and stuff like that. So like that stuff is on our minds more but it like it really affected my ability to enjoy the performance by adam kohlberg an actor that i have always liked
1: do they do do the sitcom thing though of like we're learning our lessons here at the end we shouldn't laugh at them really they're Uh, all the way through
0: it's all comedy yeah and they like interesting they like gaslight this paranoid delusional person to get him out of their lives it's like (sighs) so fucked up (laughs) <laughs> anyway so we watched that and uh uh and uh, how i met your mother and uh, that's that's the one where i met your mother i went on too long about that um scott where can people find you on the internet
1: um technically at rail of tomorrow on twitter my account is currently locked for reasons i haven't been able to quite psychologically identify it just feels like what i need to be doing at this point in my life um but i will probably unlock it soon and in the meantime if you request to follow me i'll probably approve it so have at it <laughs> um, and I was going to say that I'll be covering TCM Fest in a couple of weeks but we also have several more weeks of episodes to do between now and then so I'll do a proper plug for that later um, other than that Letterbox is good too I try to post thoughts there although I, I only saw one movie the entire two weeks I was in New York nope, two. I watched Notting Hill in my hotel room um, how does it hold up I had never seen it before
0: I, um, I, have, I haven't seen it since it was new and I didn't like it but I, think I, I might like it I loved it I thought it was fantastic
1: um it it has some shortcomings granted but i i think um Hugh it's granted? Very, whoop, uh-huh. but it's very smartly executed the, the weird thing is that so i had been wanting to see Notting hill pretty much since it came out um and just never got around to it but then so i finally watched it like second day i was in new york and then the fourth day i was in new york i went to see play english where they play the final scene from Notting hill in the play <laughs> it
0: was the weirdest thing that's so strange i know yeah um Oh, I feel like I had something like that happen recently, and now I can't uh, uh, remember what it was. Uh, I'll think about it. I'll think of it after we're done recording. It's probably meaningless. Um, yeah. Uh, but R.I.P. Roger and Michelle. Oh yeah. Um, did you watch the? Uh, I keep dragging this on. Uh, you watched the Small Axe movies or think, <sighs> uh, a couple of years ago? Um, anyway, oh, the uh, uh, Steam, the Steam Queen between. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know why I forgot who that was yes i saw two of them
0: okay so like um god why am i forgetting the name mangrove was that the first one sounds good Uh, so that's like it's so strange like that's notting hill like Notting Hill was like a like all like british like black caribbean people and then it like by the time of the movie notting hill it was fully gentrified and
1: yeah i mean the movie does the very like late 90s early 2000s thing of presenting it as a culturally diverse environment like that's how hugh grant introduces it as like part of why he loves it and then like you only see white people throughout the entire movie (laughs) um so they do acknowledge that cultural history while not really engaging with it
0: all right um other than that thank you for listening
1: hey well i I was that's Tyler's or who says we'll get you next time. At any rate, I thought it'd be usually it's a lie because it's you and Tyler getting you next time, but you yeah. and I genuinely will get the listeners next time. Yeah. Bye. We'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>